Good morning, fellowship. My name is Tira. I am one of the pastors here if I've not yet met you. And whether you are joining us here in person or you're joining us online, it is such a gift to gather together for worship with you. This morning's call to worship comes to us from Psalm Psalm 37. Uh, I invite you to ponder these words from David, one of the very, very storied kings of Israel. David writes this, Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your ways to the Lord. Trust in him and he will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. This morning, we heed the voice of David who reminds us to trust in and on the steadfast faithfulness of the Lord and to trust in the way of the Lord and to not only trust in the Lord, but to delight ourselves in him fully. In gratitude for the steadfast love of the Lord toward us, let us join our voices in loving adoration of our triune God. Would you stand and sing with us?
Even as we sing of God as our shepherd forever and ever, we are mindful that we don't always follow God as our shepherd. And so we will engage in this prayer of confession with some familiar words of God as our shepherd. Let's pray together. Shepherd God, hear our prayer and build your kingdom here on earth. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. But, O Lord, we are consumed with wanting more. He makes me lie down in giving pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. But, O oh Lord, other pastures seem greener. The waters aren't always still. Our souls still thirst. He leads me in right paths for his name's sake. O oh Lord, we long to be led by you though we may complain along the path. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And yet, O oh God, we do sometimes fear. May we feel your presence, your comfort, and your forgiveness anew. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Oh God, sometimes we refuse to sit down at your table. Forgive us and help us to see your overflowing mercy. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord my whole life long. Forgive us, God, and lead us into your house. Shepherd God, hear our prayer and build your kingdom here on earth. Amen.
That is way more fun when you guys are singing it and it's not just us, right? <laughs> you guys make it happen. Uh, thanks be to God. Friends, it is because of Jesus's life, his death and his resurrection that we have peace not only with God, but with one another. The peace of Christ be with you. I invite you as you are comfortable to exchange a sign of peace with your neighbor. Fellowship, the Lord be with you. It's good to be gathered together this morning in worship. Those of you who are joining us online, those of you here in this space, my name is Jess Mix, and I'm the Minister of Creative Arts and Worship here at Fellowship Church. At Fellowship, it is our mission together to love God and others as an accepting community, centered in Christ, and focused on developing faithful followers of Jesus. One way we get to do that together this morning is by gathering at the table. At the end of our service to conclude our time together, we will gather at the table. For those of you joining us online, you might want to take a moment to gather your elements so you can partake at the same time with us. And then we will go right after this service to the lunch table together and enjoy tacos. So stick around for that. Definitely worth it. Um, in a couple of weeks, we are starting the season of Lent, and that begins on Ash Wednesday, which is February 22nd. It's a little early this year. Whenever it falls in February, it can sometimes fall in March. So keep your eyes peeled for that um, on your calendar. Those of you worshiping with us online, you will have an option to join us live stream. We will gather for a meal at 545 and then gather together here in this sanctuary for a service at 630. And um, I guess kick off Lent with Ash Wednesday. That is how it begins for those 40 days that lead up to Easter. So uh, please join us for that. Every week in worship, we pause to acknowledge that giving is a vital part of our worship together. The heart behind our giving is that we are made in the image of a good and generous God. Whether it be our time, our intellect, our skills, our finances, or anything else we have received as goodness and gift from God, we complete the cycle when we offer it for the good of others and it returns back in praise towards God. Jesus taught us that when others see our good deeds, it is so that they would glorify God. Some of you may have already heard this last week that fellowship was in the news. If you didn't see, it was because of generosity, our shared generosity, your generosity. Um, definitely check that out if you haven't seen um, or ask somebody if you, if you haven't heard about it. That's a good story. Um, it is just a good reminder, even as our good friend Suzanne McDonald preached last Sunday and reminded us that... Um, we don't want to blow our own trumpet, right? Like the, we are living for an audience of one. And yet, when others see our good works, they do return in praise to God, and it can inspire others to do the same. So thank you for that generosity, and thanks be to God that it is making a difference in our community and is being noticed. Um, you can continue to give, those of you who do online or with bulls in the back. And if, if this is your first time um, giving, we invite you to do that, uh, to be a part of our shared ministry. You can also put a check in the mail or deliver it to the church. So many ways to offer finances and also a whole community endeavor to give to one another. 
At this time, we're going to invite our kids to be dismissed to children in worship three years through fifth grade. And as we continue to contemplate the goodness of God and how we have been given so much, let's sing together the goodness of Jesus. I invite you to stand and let's sing together.
be seated. Good morning, friends. The Lord be with you. Tricked you. <laughs> As we sing of the goodness of Jesus, I cannot help but call to mind, especially as we are in Matthew's gospel right now, that it is not only good that Jesus came to save us from our sins, as we read in the opening chapter of the Christmas story, and it's not only good that he came to be Lord of all and also a friend to each of us, promising to be with us always, as he says in the last chapter of Matthew's gospel, it's also ever so good that he came to be a teacher and that he is ready, willing, and able to teach us about how to live a good life. Today, we're continuing in our series on Jesus, the teacher, recognizing that he is much more than that. He is our Lord, our Savior, our teacher, and our friend. But today, he's teaching again. We're in the third chapter of the Sermon on the Mount, and the Sermon on the Mount is the first of five major teaching blocks in Matthew's gospel. So I did a little nerdy thing this week. Surprise. (laughs) (laughs) I tried to integrate the Sermon on the Mount with the two great commands of Jesus, the commands to love God and to love one another. So I grabbed two highlighters and went through the three chapters of the Sermon on the Mount and all 107 verses that are printed in red because of the words of Jesus. And it turns out something like this made the graphic here suggesting that it seems to be an almost perfect balance in the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus is teaching sometimes about how to love God well and other times about how to love others well. And there's certain things that overlap also. On the whole, and to be clear, it's not about how to earn your salvation or how to get God to like you. It's not about that. This is Jesus teaching wise words from a wise teacher about how to live a good life. If you go more specifically into our chapter for today, which is chapter seven, you'll see that the pattern of that balance, love God, love others, plays out similarly in this chapter. Chapter seven, in my view, has seven different subsections in it. And there's stuff about judging others, about asking God for stuff, prayer, about the golden rule the wide and narrow gates, true and false prophets, true and false disciples, and wise and foolish builders. The whole bit of it concludes with a powerful statement where all those who were listening to Jesus in this sermon, they were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority. The title of this sermon is therefore, How to Be Human how to be humane. And I'm going to pull out three of those major teachings of Jesus. I don't often do a how-to sermon, but there's a lot of how-to stuff in the Sermon on the Mount. And so we'll pull out three of those, uh, which seem to suggest Jesus' instructions on how to be human, how to be humane. And that is, first, don't judge. Second, do good. And third, trust God. The Christian life is, of course, much, much more than this, but it's also not less than this. So before we read those passages, I invite you to join me in prayer. Let's pray together. O Lord, our God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, as we pause today to consider the goodness of Jesus, would you help us to notice and embrace his invitation into 
the good life. He lived it and he taught it. And so now it is our prayer, O oh God, that his word, your word, would be our rule, that your spirit, his spirit, would be our teacher, and that the glory of Jesus, your glory, O oh God, would be our primary concern. And all God's people said, amen. I invite you to hear the word of the Lord from the book that we love, the beginning, middle, and end of Matthew chapter 7, where it says this, Jesus says, do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same manner that you judge others, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured against you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your neighbor's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, while all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, take the plank out of your own eye. Then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Then verse 12, as a summary in the middle of the chapter, Jesus says, so in everything, do to others what you would have them do unto you. This is all the law and the prophets. And he concludes the sermon by saying these words. Therefore, every one of you who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who builds his house on a rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as one of the teachers of the law. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let me introduce you to some humans. These are drawn from a book called Humans, which is a photo log of a global traveler who takes photos and tells people's stories in the moment that he captures them. In my own effort over the last six, eight months to be more human, to be more humane, I've been looking at this. And it's been challenging and good for me to do so. You might even say that these are perhaps some of the very people Jesus had in mind as he was teaching about how to be human, how to be humane in the world. So let's meet some humans. In Amman, Jordan, we have this little girl with a broken arm. And she says, I was walking down the stairs and looking at the stars. All the dreamers who have ever stumbled can maybe relate to her. In New York City, we find this honest fellow Perhaps you can picture yourself in his shoes. And he says, I thought I'd be a much more secure person at this stage of life. I'm realizing now that nobody grows up. Everyone just grows old. Hmm. In Brazil, there's this senior saint. She looks like my grandma Saitzma. And she says with a long face, my husband is 92 years old and he keeps trying to make love to me. And she says, nope, not me. <laughs> Poor guy. <laughs> Poor lady. <laughs> this one's heavy. In Juba, 
South Sudan, we find this mother and her baby daughter. And mom says with her eyes on the ground, we have seen a lot of death. I invite you to keep these people in mind as we consider today the teachings of Jesus on how to be human, how to be humane. He begins, the first major teaching in Matthew chapter 7 is about judging others. And the basic principle that Jesus is saying is, don't do it. In fact, he goes on then to say the measure that you use against others will be the exact measure that's used against you. And then in verse 3, he asks a question. He says, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your neighbor's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? You hypocrites, he says. In my view, there's at least two brilliant teachings that Jesus is drawing forth in this moment and one caveat worth mentioning. The first brilliant detail that I hope you notice is that Jesus appears to be using an example from common life, something very relatable, and he's even including a joke in this particular moment. Now remember, Jesus' dad, Joseph, was a carpenter. And Jesus also was too before he became a rabbi. And so these are words from the woodshop. Very familiar. And in that place, sawdust is normal. It's par for the course. A plank, a beam in someone's eye is not. That's ridiculous hyperbola. Even if he's pointing at a deep truth, that's a crazy image, isn't it? It was funny. And people probably laughed when he said it at first. Now, the joke is 2,000 years old and now out of context, so we sometimes miss it. It's a bit like if I were to say to you today, why did the chicken cross the road? To get to the other side. <laughs> yeah, it's not funny anymore. <laughs> but it was funny the first time, right? And so was Jesus' joke. In that first instance, people probably laughed out loud. He's very relatable, speaking about real-life context. He's a likable guy. At the end of the Sermon on the Mount, chapter 8, verse 1, tells us that great crowds were following him. They wanted to be near him. He wasn't a prude. He wasn't a jerk. They wanted to be around him. Brilliant detail number two. There's a theme of sameness going on here. I wonder if you noticed that. There's the sameness in the measurement, but there's also a sameness in the substance. A speck of sawdust and a plank of wood, those are two forms of the same substance. He seems to be hinting at the fact that there's possibly a link between my judgments of others and my own personal struggles. Franciscan friar Richard Rohr calls this our shadow side. And he suggests that often what I hate most in you is me. In his own words, he says it this way, the shadow is the part of the self that we don't want to see. We don't want others to see and of which we're always afraid. Our tendency is to try to hide it or deny it, even and most especially from ourselves. Jesus' phrase for the denied shadow is the plank in your own eye, which you invariably see as the splinter in your neighbor's eye. He does not deny that we should deal with evil, but we had better do our own inner house cleaning first because if we don't see our own plank, it is inevitable that we will hate it elsewhere. We see examples of this all around us in the world, both public and private, certainly inside us too. I'll offer one simple 
public example, and I'll do it briefly, not to dwell on it, but you see this stuff in the headlines, right? Where a Christian leader of a church or a college or something else, and particularly maybe a place that offers up a higher piety, a higher standard of morality than other places of similar kind might do so. And then it happens, the leader gets exposed for being caught up in the very thing that they were most regularly against. It's a plank and a speck kind of thing. Personally, we know this, I know this way too well, right? I struggle with patience. I struggle with patience when I'm in line at a grocery store, when I'm caught in traffic, when I'm helping my kids with homework and a whole other host of places. And I become the most impatient, the most irritated when I see someone else in those settings trying to cheat and cut and get ahead because they obviously have a patience problem. (laughs) Right? It's a plank and a speck thing. C.S. Lewis has a great riddle that he includes in his radio broadcast called Mere Christianity. See if you can figure out the riddle. He says, there's one vice of which no man in the world is free, which everyone in the world loathes if they see it in someone else, and of which hardly any people except Christians ever imagine that they are guilty of themselves. There is no fault which makes us more unpopular and no fault which we are more unconscious of in ourselves. And the more we have it ourselves, the more we dislike it in others. What is he talking about? Pride, which he calls the great sin, pride. And it again is a plank and a speck thing. If you were with us last week, Uh, Suzanne McDonald uh, shared a great sermon about theaterizing, about how we have this tendency, a sickness in us, where we sometimes do good in order to be seen by others. And that's a problem in and of itself. But notice also that it is the one who is most bothered by the spotlight hogger. They're the one who also simply just wants to be in spotlight, right? It's a plank and a speck thing again and again and again. Like recognizes like, and the thing that I most hate in you is sometimes me. The one caveat that I'd offer in this teaching of Jesus is that when Jesus says don't judge, he's not saying don't be discerning. In fact, if you read the next verse, verse six will suggest that he is saying, yes, be discerning. Be discerning towards yourself, your own actions. Pay attention to your plank more so than their speck. And then towards others, he's saying, be extra resistant against making prejudgments, prejudices, or final judgments, which are God's job, of course. That, I think, is the first step that Jesus is suggesting for us, at least today, in regard to how to be human, how to be humane. Be discerning, but don't judge. Now, let's meet a few more humans, just like the rest of us. There's this little guy who lives in New York City, and he says with a smile, I want to be a mailman so that I can tell people when it's their birthday. (laughs) Isn't that great? In Pakistan, we find this kid who says, I want to be a police officer for the power. In Argentina... There's this foxy lady who says, I'm looking for a tall man, 85 to 90 years old, preferably a professional, needs to have a good mood, 
Other than that, I'm not all that particular, she says. <laughs> and this one's not funny. Bangladesh. This barefoot fella says, it was early in the morning when the military came. We ran for our lives. 30 minutes later, some of us decided to go back. The things we saw, I don't even know why I want to live in this world anymore, he says. About the daily lives of people like these and many, many more, Jesus is offering advice about how to be human, how to be humane, and it is to first not judge, and it is second to do good. Do good. Some of you are sitting here thinking like, well, Ross, boy, if I'm not judging, what am I going to do with all my free time? <sighs> Jesus offers an answer. Do good. Matthew chapter 7, verse 12, Jesus offers what is perhaps his most succinct moral instruction. It's called the golden rule. And he says, do unto others as you would wish that they would do unto you. And then he says that this is all the law and the prophets. He doesn't say that it's a favorite. He doesn't say that it's a summary. He says that this is the spirit of it all. It may help to realize that at the very time that Jesus was saying this, there was uh, an avid debate among the rabbis of that time about how to summarize all the law and the prophets. And there were two prominent schools of thought, those led by Rabbi Shammai and those led by Rabbi Hillel. And to these two leaders, there was an instance in which a Gentile stood up and said to them, can you summarize the whole Torah while standing on one foot? And Rabbi Shammai said, no, I won't do it. All of it matters. All 613 commands, it's all or nothing. Rabbi Hillel took the challenge and he stood on one foot and he said, don't do what I'm bad at balance. Do, don't do what is hateful to you. This is the whole Torah. The rest is commentary. It's the golden rule in the negative form, right? And you can apply it pretty easily. If you don't want someone to steal from you, if you don't want someone to slander you in public, well then by all means, don't do that. Don't do the hateful thing. Jesus enters into this conversation and ups the ante even more. And he says, don't only not do the bad. Also, actively do good. Do unto others as you would wish that they would do unto you. It's like the great line in Proverbs chapter 3, verse 27, where it says, do not withhold good from someone to whom it is due if it is in your power to do it. So I'm thinking now of a time in which you might buy something. In ancient times, maybe you'd buy a donkey. Today, you might buy a new car. And imagine if you find in the donkey's cloak or the car's glove box, you find a jewel or a fancy watch. And you think, well, I bought it. It's mine now, right? Do I have to give it back to the seller? The rule of Jesus says, do unto others as you would wish they would do unto you. I'm thinking of someone who maybe even today has walked into this place and they look lost because they're new. They don't have a people here yet. They don't belong just yet. Maybe it reminds you of a time where here or somewhere else you were new and how it made all the difference in the world for someone to say, hey, Chris, hey, Jeff, come here, sit in my pew, come to my table, you belong here. Or maybe that didn't happen to you. 
and it hurt a lot and it still hurts. So should you return tit for tat? No, change the script. The instruction of Jesus is do unto others as you would wish they would do unto you. In other areas of life, should you offer a listening ear? Should you offer a helping hand? Should you give someone a second chance? The rule of Jesus continues forth. Do unto others as you wish they would do unto you. Someone has summarized and said even 2,000 years later that it would be hard to find a better way to summarize how unselfish love can and should play out in our relationships with other people. It's Jesus' second advice that I'm drawing forth about how to be human, how to be humane. Don't judge and do good. The third is simply to trust God. Trust God. I heard a stat recently from the Barna Research Group suggesting that 57% of Christians have a moral plan of how to interact with their enemies at a point of conflict. 57%. When that same group of Christians was asked whether they thought Jesus would agree with their plan, only 11% said yes. Did you catch that? It means, basically, that there are folks who are already planning that in certain situations, they're going to look at their WWJD bracelet, consider what Jesus would do, and then go forth and do the opposite. Wow. Remember the Christians, the early Christians, they actually earned their name because people were accusing them of acting too much like Jesus. They were little Christ. They were Christian. Makes you wonder whether that would be, would I be accused of that? In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus concludes with a great analogy of two builders, a wise one and a foolish one, and of two foundations, a rocky one and a sandy one. Without this conclusion to the Sermon on the Mount, kind of like the Beatitudes that are at its beginning, we might be tempted to think that it's all up to us. It's all up to me, my performance. But it's not, of course. The foundation is not me. And the final invitation is to trust God. The analogy is brilliant and simple. Both builders build houses. Both houses experience the exact same storm. Go back and read it again. Same storm hits. The only difference is the foundation upon which these two houses are built. One is on something rocky, something solid, and the other is on something sandy and shifty. Again, Proverbs 3 is helpful here. Now verse 7, it says, do not be wise in your own eyes. That's kind of what's being suggested here. Trust God even more than you trust yourself. And this is real life advice for real people living in today's real world. So I want to invite you to see and meet a few more humans with me one last time. In Rio de Janeiro, there's this guy. He's sitting alone and he says, I've detached myself from everyone who tries to tell me what to do. In Lima, Peru, there's this mom with her son sitting there and mom says, we're talking about how important it is to take a shower every day. <laughs> Look at his face. <laughs> <laughs> in Paris, France, there's this woman who says through tears, I don't know why my mother hated me. She had a sickness you couldn't see, and she convinced me that I am sick. She criticized everything, the way I eat, the way I dress, the way I speak. I don't know if I can recover. 
in New York City, there's this fellow. He's looking a bit bewildered and he says, after I finally learned all the ropes, they changed all the rules. In each of these scenarios and 7.8 billion more, Jesus says of his teaching in the Sermon on the Mount, he says, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who builds their house upon a rock. I'm summarizing that rather cheaply as the invitation to trust God. It's perhaps the most important part of how to be human, how to be humane. I mean, what of all things is more natural than for a creature to trust its creator in our living, in our dying, and even in our hopes of life beyond death. Thanks be to God, I'm not God. Thanks be to God, the foundation isn't me. It's not my best judgments. It's not my best efforts. It's not my best self. Thanks be to God, there is another. His name is Jesus Christ. And he is the one foundation that is sure to stand through all the storms of life. So when it comes to living life as a human, Jesus says, don't judge, do good, and trust God. And for all of us who are perhaps weary travelers along the way, who who get beat up and who fall down, he offers even more rock-solid advice for each of us on the journey and hope for the way. He says, take and eat. This is my body. This is my blood given for you. Remember and believe. Who are we to think that we know better than the one who invented life in the first place? In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Brothers and sisters in Christ, this morning we get to feast at the table that God has set before us. At this table, we rehearse the story of our triune God who saves us from sin, death, and darkness, who saves us to live a profoundly human life in trust and of trust in Christ alone, and who saves us for eternal fellowship with him. The Holy Supper, which we are about to celebrate, is for us a celebration and a feast of remembrance, communion, and hope. We come in remembrance of our Lord Jesus Christ, who was sent of the Father into the world to assume our flesh and blood and to fulfill for us all obedience to the divine law, even to the point of bitter and shameful death on a cross. By his death and resurrection and ascension, he established a new and eternal covenant of grace and reconciliation, that we might be welcomed back into friendship with our God. We come to have communion with the same Christ who has promised to be with us always, even to the end of the age. And so in the breaking of bread, he makes himself known to us as a true heavenly bread that sustains us and strengthens us unto life eternal. And in the cup of blessing, he comes to us as the vine in whom we must abide if we want to bear fruit. We come in hope, believing that this bread and this cup are a pledge and a foretaste of the feast that is to come, of which we shall partake when Christ's kingdom has come fully, when with unveiled faces we shall behold him in his glory, made like unto him. 
And since by his death and resurrection and ascension, Christ has obtained for us the life-giving spirit who unites us all into one body, so are we to receive this supper in true love, mindful of the communion of the saints, the communion with one another who are present today and also with those who have gone before us. Maybe it's remembrance of Christ's sacrificial love for us and death for us in the face of our own sin and brokenness and frailty. Or maybe it's communion with Christ in a season that is exhausting and busy and distracted. Maybe it's hope in Christ and the world to come, even as we mourn and lament the brokenness of our own world. Whichever it is, remembrance, communion, hope, we invite you to find your nourishment in this table. Here at Fellowship, all who love God and all who are learning to follow Jesus are welcomed at this table. To that end, let's pray. Lord, we gather around this wonderful meal, this wonderful table from everywhere and from every place. And so we ask that you would bless and make yourself known to us at it as we eat this bread and as we drink this cup, linking arms with those around the world, pour your grace into each and every one of us. Grace us with your presence, your unique presence by the power of your Holy Spirit. May we see each other, your light, your love, and you in one another. May it not matter our differences, our names, our languages, our looks, and our way of doing things. May what matter today and every day be that we are one in you, Christ our Lord. And as we pray, we call to mind our brothers and sisters who are unable to be with us today, whether in body or spirit. May you bring your comfort to those who are grieving, to those who are lonely, to those who are heartbroken, ill, or broken of spirit. And may you strengthen those whose lives feel shattered, that their lives don't make sense, they're in crisis, or they're experiencing loss. May you say the healing words to those who need it most. May you bring the human touch of love to those who have not been touched. May you love the unloved through us, your people. And may you shine your light into those whose world is covered in darkness. And may you use us to feed the hungry, to clothe the ones who need clothes, to give a cup of water to those who are thirsty, to shelter the homeless, to visit the sick and those who are in prison. And may our lives be awakened to you, Lord, to your love and to your kingdom, whose door is always open to all people. So we ask that you would bless this table and all who gather around it. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen. On the same night that Jesus was to be betrayed, he took bread. And after he had given thanks, he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples saying, take, eat, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And that same night, after a little time had passed, Jesus took the cup and he poured it full and he gave it to each of his disciples and he said to them, this cup is the new covenant in my blood and as often as you drink of it, do so in remembrance of me. Friends, the bread which we break and the cup which we bless is for us our communion with the body and the blood of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. This morning, we'll be receiving communion uh, by intinction, which means you will come to the forward, take a piece of bread and dip it in the cup. Uh, the way that you'll get here is that uh, we say you uh, leave from the left and return to the, on the right. Uh, so uh, leave to the left of your seat and then come back to the right. There's a flow chart if you're more of a visual person. 
If you uh, prefer uh, gluten-free, uh, there is a spot over here. Uh, and if you uh, would rather just stay in your seat um, or need to stay in your seat, just raise your hand and there will be rovers uh, roaming around uh, seating, or feeding or serving those that are seated in their seats. I'd like to invite those that are uh, helping to serve this morning to come forward at this time. My friends, these are the gifts of God for you and us, the people of God. Come, for all things are now ready. Just go. 
Friends, as we stand here with our bellies full from that table, and as we soon go to fill them all the more at those tables over there, we join the psalmist who says, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless God's holy name, bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. So as we go from this place this morning, may the grace of the Lord Jesus and the love of God the Father and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you always. Go in peace.